everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Born to Fly podcast. And today my guest is Deb Brown Marr, and Deb is a sales coach. She's also an author and a speaker who helps business owners and solo entrepreneurs change the way they sell from convincing a prospect to buy to being of service. She is passionate about helping people sell from a position of integrity and shares her methods in her book and video training course called Sell Like Jesus, Seven Characteristics of Christ for Ethical Sales. I read the book myself and I must say, it's pretty impressive. So Deb has an impressive track record of getting results, first as a salesperson, then as a sales leader for various organizations, and now as the owner of Deb Brown Sales. She loves working with small business owners who have to sell, but hate to sell. When not working, she enjoys acrylic painting and gardening. Deb lives with her husband Charles and ragdoll cat Queen Sheba. Love that name. So we're going to talk about seals today and I hope it will be beneficial for your business as well. Deb, welcome on the show. Thank you so much, Jane. I'm glad that you got the time to be here and I'm excited to talk to you. So let's start off with telling who you are. Who is Deb? So I am a sales coach and author. I'm also a wife, a sister, a daughter, and the mom to a uh, ragdoll cat, Queen Sheba. Oh, wow. (laughs) Love the name. So I know that you wrote a book and the book is called Sell Like Jesus. And I I got it right here. (laughs) Ah, thank you. (laughs) Because I read it. I was very interested in reading it. And I know, Deb, in there you tell your story a little bit of how you became, you know, a sales consultant and why you started writing this book. So why don't you tell the listeners as well? How did you end up being a sales consultant? So I started selling as a child. And as a kid, I had no cares, no worries, no quotas. So selling stuff and making money was just plain old fun. Then I went to school. I went to college. I got a degree and I had to get a job. And my degree really didn't equip me to do much except something in the field of customer service or sales. So when I started selling as an adult and was taught high pressure tactics, it really rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't feel comfortable using those high pressure techniques because I thought they were disrespectful. And honestly, I lasted a week at my first sales job because of that. So I realized if I was going to stay in sales, I needed to figure out a way to sell that I could be comfortable and be successful. So yeah, you still have to hit quota, but let's find a way to do it that is comfortable for both buyer and seller. And that's what set me on the course to learn sales technique and to to be able to apply Christian principles as I did sales. So how does that work? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you think about it, we look to Christ, those of us who are Christ followers, um, we believe Jesus is the ultimate leader. 
a servant leader is often how he is characterized. So what if we applied servant leadership to selling? Why is that such a hard thing to imagine? Only because nobody's ever done it before. And honestly, writing the book, Sell Like Jesus, really wasn't my idea. I know that sounds weird, <laughs> but it was God's inspiration when my coach challenged me, Deb, you really ought to write a book. And I immediately responded, I have no idea what I would write about unless it would be how to sell like Jesus. And as I said the words, I actually heard the words for the first time. And I realized, oh, no, <laughs> I think God's trying to tell me something. I think I am supposed to write that book. And that set me on a seven-year course, actually, to uh, get the book written. So there was a lot of learning that I did along those seven years that brought me to where we are today. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And I, I bet when you heard those words, sell like Jesus, you thought that's my title. That's the title I should use. Oh, I knew it was the title. <laughs> and I had the same reaction that a lot of people have, which is, what? Jesus? Sales? Come on, Deb, what are you talking about? And then I thought, wow, that's really provocative. Isn't that just like God to provoke people to learn something? And part of my learning curve to get the book written was that I had to get comfortable associating Jesus with sales process because sales has such a negative reputation. Yes, it does. It is provocative because when I think about it, yes, sales when we think about salespeople, we think about very pushy people, right? They only want you to buy something. They, they're only after your money. So when I think about selling like Jesus, the first thing I wondered is what did Jesus sell? Was Jesus a salesperson? Um, <laughs> after reading the book, like I know why it's called sell like Jesus, but why don't you explain it to our listeners as well who might feel that, you know, weird feeling towards the title that you chose? Yeah. Yeah. So let me take the pressure off a little bit and say selling is the same as getting buy-in. So most people don't sell for a living, but everybody has to get buy-in from somebody pretty much every day and often multiple times a day. So what do we need to get buy-in for? We need to get buy-in <clears throat> from our spouse on what we're going to eat for dinner. We need to get buy-in from children to get them to do their chores. We want buy-in from our work colleagues to do things a certain way at work, right? Mm -hmm. So if you take sales, take that word out of it and think rather about coming to a level of agreement on a course of action. That's something we do all the time. And that's what Jesus did. He came to present a new option. And of course, it, it, he was the option to receive him as our Lord and Savior in order to restore us to relationship to the Father. And in order to 
receive him, we first have to hear his message. Then we have to embrace it, believe it, and live it. So what is the price that Jesus asks his followers to pay? Take up your cross daily and follow me. I don't know about you, but that implies a price to me. He, him taking up the cross, how much did it weigh? I don't know, 200, 300 pounds. Just dragging that cross down the streets to be crucified on it. And now he's asking us to do the same thing, not actually, but in a spiritual sense. So what is that price? It's giving up of everything selfish, self-aggrandizement, self-promotion, selfish desires, self-centeredness, wanting my way over your way. And those things are hard to do. I, speaking for myself, those things are hard to do. Even when you have the best intentions, I really believe, and it's been my experience, that as I walk out my life of faith, there's always a new layer of challenge that comes with a new request from the Lord to trust him at a deeper level. And every time when I look at the root of why I'm struggling, it's because something about what I'm dealing with, I'm trying to fix, or I want to do it myself. So I'll ask you, is that a price to get that eternal relationship with the Lord? Is that a price that we pay? Yeah, that's, that's a very good one. Where you look at it from that perspective, right? Jesus was offering something, something very valuable, something we actually should all want. But yeah, it comes with a price. And he just, yeah, he sold it to many people because we're still believing it today, right? <laughs> Now, here's another way to look at it. He gave his life. He offered with no strings attached, no dollar sign attached but we still have to receive the gift. So it doesn't help if you give me a brand new car. If I never take the keys and get in it and use it, it's not going to do me any good. So the price I have to pay is to receive that gift and then live from that place of enjoying that gift. So that's another way to look at the price for salvation we have to receive it well and looking at jesus life you were able to distract a couple of characteristics that we can use in our sales process i'd say to become a better salesperson so i know that there are seven in your book that mm -hmm. i read about and there are a couple that i want to discuss with you sure Yeah, I'm just thinking there's like two things that come to mind before we start diving into those yeah, characteristics. So I know that when we look at these things from a Christian perspective, oftentimes people think, well, if we approach things with a lot of love, you know, with a lot of respect for other people, then maybe it's going to make us weak. It's going to not push the sales in a way that we want it to. Or it, So can you just tell our listeners if your approach has been working, like the <laughs> approach of Jesus over the past few years? 
Yes. So one of the misconceptions of what it means to love comes in the form of thinking that we, of taking it to the extreme. So when we look at the love of Christ, we can't separate it from his mercy and his judgment, that they are all rolled together. Yes. So selfless love puts other people first, for example. So let's say in a sales conversation, how can I put someone first that's beneficial to both of us? Well, I can do that by wanting to hear their story before I tell them anything. Okay, so where does putting them first step over the line and now become detrimental to one or both of us? It might be that when they say, I love what you have, but I want you to lower your price. Can't you give me a deal? Can't you give me a discount? And I, as the seller, have already set a fair profit margin. And if I give up that profit margin, I can't pay my bills. So if in the name of love, I, I feel like I have to serve the other person by giving them what they've asked for, even though it's detrimental to me, now I've crossed over the line. And that occurs because I don't have the strength to use tough love, which would say something like, I would love to be able to lower my price, but I hope you'll understand when I say I can't. And here's why. I've already given the most fair price that I can. And if I cut my profit margin, I'm not going to be able to stay in business to service you and other people. So if you were in my shoes, what would you do? So it's finding that balance, Jane. There has to be a balance between what's good for you and what's good for me, both at the same time. It's the win-win scenario that I think Stephen Covey brought to the table back in the 1970s. It's win-win or no deal, and no deal means we shake hands, friends, and agree not to work together because it's not good for both of us. So no deal becomes a win-win. And the only time we experience a loss is when we compromise our values and what we know is in everybody's best interest. Yeah, I like that win-win idea on the specific example that you gave. If I would lower my price to help someone, I could feel, yeah, I'm helping this person regardless, but it's not a win-win because I actually made a loss. Yes. So that's, that's a great example. And there's another portion to that. It doesn't mean you will never give a discount. It means that when you do, you do it consciously and there is some other benefit that you're going to gain by giving. Mm -hmm. And you agree to it. So that becomes the win-win. And it's okay. So you see, it isn't always about the money. It really is about the win-win. And of course, that plays out in 
the majority of our life circumstances where we're not exchanging money for products or services, but we are trying to get mutual understanding and agreement to move forward with ideas, action plans, et cetera. I'm sure this is very helpful for people that are listening and to me. <laughs> Let's go back to the, the characteristics that I started talking about that you mentioned in your book. There are a couple that I would like to well, shed more line on. And one of them is clarity. So they're all C's, and <laughs> which I think is always fun. It's, it's a thing that I think uh, John Maxwell does as well. He has a lot of those. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh- and again, I can't take credit for that. The Lord gave them to me. And yeah, I, and I thought, oh, how clever they're all see. <laughs> so I can remember all seven all at once. Probably not. <laughs> that's good. There's like this little icon in there that, you know, um, this little wheel that shows. That's why I made the icon. Yeah, to- <laughs> I can imagine. So uh, clarity is one of the characteristics. So yeah. What is this characteristic about? Why clarity? And can you give a good example of how to apply it? Clarity starts with being prepared. So if you think about it, you're about to have a conversation with someone. You at least, well, let's take it to sales. You're, You're going to have a sales conversation. So do you know this person? What do you know about them? What have they said to you or written to you? What might they possibly be trying to solve that they're asking you for help? What's their background? What might they be interested in? So these are all questions that the more I understand about the person before we even engage in conversation, the more targeted I can be with guiding the conversation to the place of meaning for them. Simultaneously, I need to have a goal. What do I want to accomplish? Do I just want to get to know this person? Do I want to find out all the details of the problem they're trying to solve? Am I trying to qualify them at a high level before having a more in-depth conversation where we go into more detail? So, If I don't know what I want to accomplish in that first connection, then how can I expect to get that outcome, right? We don't typically think about outcomes for everyday conversations, even for sales conversations. So what's the advantage of doing that? It saves time, effort, and energy because it's, let's say, I work with a lot of Amish in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. So there are a number of people that do roofing. Some of them only do shingles. Some of them only do metal. Some only do residential. Some only do commercial. So when someone comes in and says, I'd like an estimate for my roof. Okay. The logical question that needs to be identified early on to save time is what kind of roof or what kind of structure. So by knowing the bare bones qualifying elements before you engage with someone, you can structure the questions that you ask so that you save your time and theirs. 
So you could have this great conversation and then, oh, by the way, what kind of roof are you looking for? Well, I want metal. Oh, we only do shingle. I'm so sorry. Now I'm disappointed because I thought I had a live one. You're disappointed because I just wasted your time when, you know, you're hanging up as the customer thinking, why didn't you tell me that at the beginning, right? So when we, as the salesperson, take responsibility for understanding who our customers are, understanding the typical kinds of problems that we are best suited to solve for them, with them, and then we structure, we create questions that are going to get to the heart of the matter quickly and efficiently. Now, the our act of preparing in that way speaks volumes to the recipient because it builds trust without me saying, you can trust me, Jane. I'm a salesperson. You can trust me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Not <laughs> those two words don't really go together normally, but no, we can't say it. We have to show yeah. it. So preparation brings clarity. Clarity helps us and the prospect. And when we approach people in that way, they're thinking, wow. I'm, I'm glad they asked me that. And the net emotional response is, these people know what they're doing. I think I can trust them. Yeah. And yet it's an initial conversation, maybe only three minutes long. But that's, that's key, I guess, to also selling something because you as a buyer only want to buy something if you trust the person that the person is actually capable of doing what you ask them to right. do and to solve your problem. So to sum it up, basically, it means you have to prepare for the conversation that you're going to have for a business or, you know, in personal life. So there is a goal, obviously, you want to get from this conversation. And there's a couple questions that go with it to get to the core, to get to that goal. So the next one that I wanted to discuss is comprehension. And I, I want to quote something that you put in that chapter, which is saying one of the most liberating benefits of this approach, so what you were describing, is that the salesperson has no pressure to convince the buyer of anything. The only pressure a salesperson should feel is which prompts him or her to orchestrate an interaction where the buyer feels safe enough to be honest, because that honesty makes it possible to get the best possible outcome for both parties. Right. Those are yours. <laughs> <laughs> so what struck you in those words? A good question. Well, I think the honesty and that the only pressure that we have is that we want the buyer to feel safe, which kind of comes back to what I said about the whole trust that uh, thing that we were talking about. And so it's about getting to the best possible outcome for both parties. Mm -hmm. And in, in to get there is what we get, what brings us to the characteristic comprehension, because that's about listening, understanding and asking in order to serve. Right. How can we serve someone if we don't understand them? How can we understand them if we don't ask questions and listen to what they say? Usually in a sales call, 
people have started by telling us something, which means we actually have to listen first. And I love the scripture in Luke where Jesus was in the temple with the scribes. And it says he was listening and asking questions. That just, it's like one day as I'm reading the Bible, God shined this spotlight on that phrase. He was listening and asking questions. And I thought, wow. So even as a teenager, he already was listening before he tried to be understood. He wanted to hear where his audience was coming from before he engaged them in dialogue. And then they were uber impressed with the questions that he asked because his questions showed insight and wisdom. So the same thing can happen for us during a sales call when we listen to what the other person has said and then formulate our questions based on what we've heard. After clarifying what we've heard, people come to me and say, so Deb, you know, I think I need sales coaching. Well, great. I'm glad you approached me. Help me understand what makes you think you need sales coaching. So what I did was thanked, acknowledged, and then used their phrase, I need sales coaching, to ask my question. What makes you think you need sales coach? Mm -hmm. And that invites them to tell me the story that's behind that phrase, which was actually their summary statement of this whole gigantic thought process they've already been going through and mulling over and investigating. And I have no clue about, but I know for certain if they're asking me that question, There's a lot behind it, and I need to ask the question to give them the freedom to express what that is. And then as they express more detail, then I ask deeper questions about the detail that they're telling me. So in that way, the whole conversation is about them and the challenge that they want to find a solution to. Instead of me asking, a list of questions, which is how it's done in traditional sales, that are going to give me all the information I need to know to put you into the best program that I have for you based on the answers you give me to my questions. Okay, so that's self-centered. And I might actually be right. But here's the problem. I don't know anything more about you. You don't feel heard because I've been doing all the talking and I've only asked you very manipulative questions that are designed to get me the answers that I need to slot you. Yes, those questions are probably important. Some of them, maybe not so much, but most of them probably important, but it's the wrong time. In sales, we typically don't take the time to hear the other person's story before we start trying to solve the problem. When you problem solve too quickly, you're projecting what you think is best for someone. That's a critical parent coming at a child saying, I know what's best for you. Here you go. And then we wonder why people say, thank you very much. I'll get back to you. 
and never take our calls, never answer our emails, because we just insulted them unknowingly by pretending we had the answer for them without engaging them in the process. We don't mean to do it, Jane. It's being done to us all day long, every day. That's why sales has such a bad reputation. So if we want to change that dynamic, we have to change our approach. And that's where the other-centered approach comes in. Well, it, it serves multiple things, right? It serves like I get to know you. So I know what I'm offering is actually something that matches your the solution that you're looking for. Yeah. And it also, again, creates trust because I want to know about you and I want to know if what I'm offering is a, a good fit for you. And then it could mean that it results in us not working together because yeah. it's not what I'm looking for. Or maybe even I find out that I don't need sales coaching. I need something else. Yes. And I, I'm going to back us up in the sales process for a minute here. Yeah. Before we even engage in that in-depth dialogue of listening and asking, we need to set expectations for what's going to happen during the conversation. So this is that step where we basically share the agenda with the other person and explain the intended outcome. And part of what we're explaining is that we're going to ask and answer questions of each other to get a better understanding, to see if there's a fit or not. And if there isn't, that's okay. And together we'll figure out if it makes sense to take next steps or not. Doing that setting expectations piece also builds trust and relaxes the other person because now they know what to expect. And instead of getting a barrage of questions that are designed to get me to say yes to something that I don't really understand, I know at least that you intend to try to understand me and it positions you to actually do that. And then when you've done it at, on the receiving end, I'm going, wow, she just did what she said she was going to do. That builds trust and it shows integrity. Exactly. Yeah. And I like that you can be comfortable in a sales conversation as a potential buyer knowing that the outcome of the call can still be, I don't want to buy from you. Right. And then you don't feel manipulated into buying something you actually don't want. Yes. And we've, we've all been there, I think. So <laughs> if you want to create a better conversation, um, yeah, th these are things that we should apply to what we're doing. And the beauty of it is, it isn't just for sales. In fact, when I work with people to teach them sales technique, I always advocate that they practice on friends and family because with friends and family, the emotions run higher. The unspoken expectations are much stronger. So if you can apply these principles with family, you can apply them anywhere. It'll be a cinch to do it in the business realm. Awesome. It's much harder with family. Yeah, but, well, they're more honest. Like they, they know what they want to say. And I, I feel there's more politeness when we're talking to strangers, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the time. Like I wish we could talk about your entire book, but unfortunately we can't. And I know one of the other characteristics, I will tell the audience, 
is I, I wanted to talk about commitment as well, because I saw this quote in the book that says 80% of sales require five follow-up calls after the meeting. So just think about that, listener. Think about the follow-up after, after meeting people, after having a sales call. But we cannot dive in it. This will be a good <laughs> cliffhanger for people to actually buy the book and read it. So <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> So uh, the one thing I want to ask you, though, is I ask a lot of my guests to share one of their mistakes that they made in their entrepreneurial journey that taught them a lot. And can you share one of yours that will help our listeners avoid it or learn from it as well? Yes, this was a mistake I made when I was interviewing for a job in my 20s. I was grateful to later on read in uh, Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, what the principle was that I violated. (laughs) The mistake I made was when I was asked why I was leaving, I said some things that I did not like about my current employer. So in essence, I badmouthed my boss. Mm -hmm. That is an absolute no-no. In sales, the rule is never bash the competition. And here's why. If someone is using your competitor, they obviously thought they made a good choice to choose that person. So when you badmouth the competitor, you're basically saying to your prospect, you're really stupid. You chose them. You don't say those words. But that's the net emotional effect. So I I realized my mistake early on, and I was ever so grateful to know that it never, ever pays to say anything negative about anyone else in front of someone different. Now, if you're saying it in front of them, or you have their permission to say it, then it's different because there is agreement there. Otherwise, it's called gossip, and it never leads to anything good. Agreed. Good thing to remember and be careful in the words that you choose. I think be quick to listen, slow to speak. I think the Bible says, right? So there we go. Deb, where can we find more about what you do and more about you? On my website, Jane, and it's simply debbrownsales.com. There we can find more about you and we can probably find a link to your book as well, which I highly recommend people should read. Honestly, also for the people who don't read a lot, like it's not a very thick book. I think it has like, what is it? A hundred pages. And there's a couple of appendix that are very useful for you if you want to read it for like the sales process. And um, yeah, I like it. It was uh, very practical and handy. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Born to Fly podcast. If you liked it, please leave a review on Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. And don't forget to share it with your friends. If you'd like to know more about Born to Fly, go to borntofly.faith. There you can discover our How to Find Your Calling course and a community for like-minded entrepreneurs. Looking forward to having you back next time.